how many of you would be willing to admit that from time to time that you need some relational help? Anybody there along with me? Just, yeah, yeah. That from time to time, um, that there, from time to time, now not all the time, there are some rough moments in our relationships around us. And that's what we're talking about today. How do we handle the rough roads? If you've driven in Santan Valley or in Phoenix or just about anywhere in the United States, you've hit a pothole a time or two. Anybody there with me? And when we hit those potholes, man, it really shakes us up sometimes if we're not prepared. Driving is not easy all the time, and neither are relationships. But the illusion is, is that relationships should be easy, and they're just not easy at all. This guy on the screen, uh, I think here's a picture of him. This guy is... uh, Name is Erno Rubik. And in 1974, I've shared this, I don't think I've shared this illustration with you before, but he invented something in 1974. Anybody want to take a guess? The Rubik's Cube, yeah. Somebody gave me a Rubik's Cube after I mentioned it um, in, in my message, and it's still sitting perfectly. I vowed never to mix that thing up. Because if I ever mix it up, it's not going to get put together back right unless I give it to Kyle because he can do it like in two minutes. Um, but this guy's never going to do it. When when Erno Rubik designed the Rubik's Cube in 1974, he did it to help engineering students. To start, to start, he didn't do it as a toy. He did it as a tool to help engineering stool, students to start thinking on a 3D concept. That there, every choice that you make when building or engineering has a result on another part of the playing field. And so it was trying to help them um, to, to conceptualize this idea of 3D imaging. And he said, it's, it's really fascinating. If you look it up on Wikipedia, Erno said when he first mixed it up for the first time, he truly thought he was never going to put it back together. The inventor thought it was impossible to solve the Rubik's Cube, and it took him over a month to finally get that last point or that last piece in place. If it took the inventor of it to over a month to do it, this guy's never going to try. It's always going to stay perfect. And if anyone, I've hidden it in my house so that guests can't mess it up unless Kyle's over, and then I'll just give it to him. So if it was difficult for the inventor to do it, um, it's going to be hard for us, right? Same thing with relationships. Relationships are just hard. And we just know that there are time, time to time we have problems. And sometimes we bump into each other. Have you bumped into anybody lately? Yeah, it just happens. There's a scripture in God's word that says where two or three are gathered together, there will be a fight. Yeah, well, that's not actually in the scriptures, but it should be. Because because that's the way life just is. It's just the truth. And so how do we navigate the rough roads in our relationships? I'm so glad you asked. So if you want to take your bulletin, take your take your bulletin out, out your notes, and follow along with me. Because there's a few things you're going to want, want to write down, I hope. We're going to start out with a passage written by Paul. And it's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. Listen, listen to what he writes. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossians. He says this. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must, now it's not a suggestion, it's a, this is a command, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted, tender, excuse me, tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Now, some of you are probably thinking, can we just say amen and leave from here? Because I have enough to work on. Anybody there with me? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just stop right there. But listen to what he says in verse 13. Allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Now, he doesn't say forgive a few or forgive people that you genuinely are close to and really, really like, but he says forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Because he says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you, what's the word? Must forgive others. You must. This relational healing that we're talking about, he says you must do it. Above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. He says it's loving one another that brings us closer together and help us, helps us to live harmoniously with each other. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to what? Live in peace. And always be what? thankful. Now some of you heard that verse in these verses and you're just like that. I don't know if I want to be thankful for that because that's a lot for me to work on. Now you would think that the guy who wrote this would be really, really good at relationships. But one of the things that we know about Paul is that he was not. And if you study Paul's life throughout the book of Acts, and there's a fascinating story in Acts chapter 15 where he and and Barnabas, who are two missionaries who love the Lord and who have committed their lives to going into various locations and spreading God's love to people, they're talking about going on a mission trip together. And Barnabas says, hey, I want to bring John Mark with us. And, And Paul basically flips out and he says, no, 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 no. John Mark is not going on our trip with us. Uh, Because the last time he went with us on a mission trip, he bailed when it got tough and went home. And I don't want somebody on this trip with me who's not willing to stick it out when it gets hard. This is a Jerry paraphrase. You have to take a little leeway there. And and But what happens in the midst of this conversation, Acts chapter 15, is the argument gets so heated, the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas look at each other and they go their separate ways. They say, look, this is we can't we can't reconcile this. And so I'm going to go my way, you're going to go your way, and we're done serving God together. Now eventually a few leaders of the church intervene and start trying to bring healing back into that relationship. But if the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, which Paul did, um, struggles in relationships the way he does, guess what? You and I might too, from time to time. And if you're having problems if you're bumping into each other from time to time, or if you're struggling in relationships, well, welcome to the human race, right? It's just a part of life. Rough roads are a part of the journey. And so we're going to give you a few thoughts. How do you navigate rough roads? And the first one is this, is don't make the rough road worse. Don't make it worse. How many are you, how many of you are like me uh, as a handyman and you can make a small project massive in no time at all? Anybody there with me? That's this guy. Two weeks ago, I did something that I thought was really manly, and I felt really manly. I replaced my alternator in my car, which is not that big a deal, right? 
On YouTube, you can go online and you can Google, you can YouTube anything. And I think that's what gets us in trouble from time to time, is because you watch a YouTube video and you think, this is going to be so easy. It only took the guy 17 minutes to replace the alternator on this video. Now, of course, he did fast forward a time or two when he was, you know, undoing a nut or a bolt or something like that. Four and a half hours later, lost screws in the engine... Uh, a 45-minute search of a socket that fell off the wrench down into the fan. 45 minutes of trying to fish that thing out. Well, it took me 40 minutes to locate where it was and 5 minutes to figure out how to get it out of there. I finally fixed the alternator and replaced it with the new one. Four and a half. I can make any small project huge. It's, yeah, Tim the Toolman Taylor. That's what I felt. I was like, oh, 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 afterwards, you know, in the old TV show. Yeah. And here's the thing, is that we can make difficult relationships seem impossible by the way we react to them in no time at all. Our reaction to difficult situations can take small things and make them huge. Anybody from the Michigan area? There's a city called Muskegon, I think, or something like that. Is that familiar? Muskegon, that's how you say it. Muskegon, I knew I was going to butcher that. Some years ago, the police got a report of a woman being held hostage in a home, and they sent their um, their police squad, um, what's it called, their SWAT team there, to intervene and to rescue this lady. And so what they did was is they split the SWAT team up into two different teams, one to the front of the house and one to the back of the house, and then at a determined time, they, they went in. You know, they called a few times, no one responded, and they thought this woman's life was in danger. And so the team in the front kicked the front door down, the team in the back kicked the back door down, and they came in, and the guy in the front saw somebody pointing a gun at him, and so he pointed a gun at him, and he started shooting, and the person that saw the person shooting started shooting back, and it was 10 to 12 shots later, they realized that it was the front SWAT team and the SWAT back SWAT team shooting at each other, and that there was actually no woman in trouble at the house, that it was just a, a false fake call. They got through this situation and they looked at each other and they just said, you know, we probably ought to write some sort of policy or make some sort of plan to where our SWAT teams don't kick up the doors and start shooting at each other thinking that they are the criminal, that they're the person that they're out to get. And everybody in the room says, yeah, duh, I mean, right? That's the last thing we want to do is to escalate a situation by police officers shooting at each other thinking that they're the criminals. But that's often what we do, right? We get to a situation where we're we're facing some sort of difficulty and instead of taking a breather and stepping back and trying to figure out what's actually happening, happening in the situation, we have a tendency to overreact. Anybody want to confess that from time to time? Yeah. What happens is someone does something that irritates us, right? Some Something upsets us and we begin to get intense. And we may start calling names or we may start saying phrases like, you always or you never. The truth is, is that when we use the word always and never, we're overreacting because it's not, it's not true that they always or that they never, but in our heads and in the moment, we're heating up. And, and, and in no time at all, we take this small deal and we make it into something massive and huge. I mean, not anyone in this room, right? But we know people. Amen. We know people, amen, that, that have a tendency to do this. Here's the thing, is that we have to 
stop being our own worst enemy. Listen to this. The more intense the situation becomes, the more self-control you have to exercise. Listen to that. The more intense the situation becomes, the more self-control you have to exercise. Don't make the rough road worse. The implications of how we react to situations, they, they're just not about that moment. They can last a laugh, lifetime with how we react. A great example. Um, about five years ago, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, because you'll know a little bit about this. About five years ago, there was a, a running back for OU um, called Joe Mixon. Was it five years ago? Five or six, somewhere around there. Um, he was a, a coming into his freshman year as a running back for the University of Oklahoma, and he was touted as one of the top running backs in all of the country coming out of high school. And so he was highly recruited, and it was about about a month before the season was about to start, he got into an altercation with a couple people um, at a local joint there in Norman, Oklahoma. And it got so intense that he overreacted in a situation, and he punched a college girl in the face. It was caught on video, and once the police found out who did it, they arrested him, um, and they started the proceedings of, 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 of a trial. Um, I don't know how far it went, but what I do know is that OU suspended him for a year, and he wasn't allowed to, to, to participate in the football season. He was suspended from the team, and he was going to have to be reinstated before he can come back. After, after playing for OU for a couple years, um, he was he was touted going into the draft as one of the top two running backs skill wise um, coming out and and he had he has the total package as blocking and receiving and running and he had the total but him and Leonard Fournette who was the running back for LSU were were supposedly the top two backs that were coming out in the draft and I think that was three years ago three or four was it two years ago oh last year coming out of the draft. Leonard Fournette was drafted um, fourth and was paid $27 million. Right before the draft, the video of Joe, Mac- Joe Mixon punching the girl came out, and it scared all of the GMs, and teams started to back off. And instead of being drafted in the high first round, where he probably should have gone, he was drafted in the second round. And his bonus was just over $2 million, his signing bonus. One decision, one moment, cost a young man $25 million. And not just that, a stigma of being someone who abuses women. One choice, one moment, one instantaneous reaction where he lost his cool and he overreacted. One moment of loss of self-control. And it can cost us too. Those reactions that we have in the moment are just not about that moment. They're also about our future. That's why Proverbs 13.3 says this. Those who control their tongue will have a what? A long life. A long life. Opening your mouth can do what? Anybody ever ruined anything by opening their mouths? Yeah, me too. (laughs) Opening your mouth can ruin everything. It can ruin everything. Don't make a rough road worse. Stop. Stop. Breathe. Don't overreact in the moment. Listen to the heart of God. Here's a second thought. 
if, if you want to navigate rough roads, commit to resolution, not retreat. How many of you tend to be conflict avoidant like me? Me? Yeah. Early on in, high, or in, in ministry, this was me. And I guess getting in ministry and doing it wrong for so many years has really helped me with, with dealing with conflict instead of running from it. Um, but what's funny is that we think avoiding conflict is the Christian thing to do, right? I just avoid it. Just don't listen to it. Just don't talk about it. Just get away from it. But it's not. Because when we ignore problems, they get worse. They don't go away. Yeah, well, they do. Instead of having conversations about things and talking things through in a, in a, in a Christ-like manner, we have a tendency to bottle things up. Have you ever seen a video online of those kids that take two liter bottles and they put a little vinegar or something else inside of it and they close the top and it builds up the gas? What does it eventually do when that gas just builds and builds and builds and builds? It, it explodes. How many of you have ever been caught in the explosion of another person who is bottling everything up inside? That's what we do too. We begin to bottle and stuff and cap our feelings and our emotions, the things that we want to say. And and eventually the pressure builds so much that we puke everything out on the other person that happened two or three or four months ago or maybe years ago that we've been stuffing up inside. When we deal with stuff with each other, it's showing that we value the relationship and we value the person. By having hard and honest and loving conversations, we show that we care about this other person, that we're committed to this other person in our life. Look, it's always difficult to go through tough stuff. But we have to be committed to the resolution, not the retreat. 1 Corinthians 13.7. Paul writes this. This is the love chapter. He says, love never gives up. Why do you think Paul would say love never gives up? Because we have a tendency to do what? Give up. Love never gives up gives up. It never loses faith. Why would he say that? Because sometimes we lose faith in other people and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Don't lose faith. Oh, it's always hopeful. And it does what? Endures through every circumstance. Now, some of us need to read that together. Let's do that one more time. And it endures through every circumstance. Why is Paul writing this? I believe because he is assuming that we're going to go through problems. That we're going to face difficulties. That we're going to hit rough roads and potholes in life. But we have to be committed to each other. Enough that we don't pretend that they're not there, but we choose to work together as a team, as men and women of God. And this is for individual relationships. And this is for organizational relationships. I can promise you, because I'm a human being, that at some point I may do something or say something that you don't appreciate. And here's the thing, that in my heart I would never want to hurt someone else's heart or make a choice or a decision that would grieve your spirit. But because I'm human, it's probably going to happen at some point. 
with me. It might happen with Sarah. She's a little bit better than I am. It might happen with Edith. I mean, look at her. She's like an angel sitting on the chair, right? A halo circled around her. She would never intend, but she just might. And as a body of Christ, as an, I don't like this word, organization, how about an organism? As a body, sometimes friction arises. But we have to commit to resolution, not retreat. To working through the difficulty, not running away. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say it again because I didn't hear it a lot. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's another thing. Is don't be afraid to admit when the road is too rough to manage by yourself. How many of you have ever driven around Phoenix enough to know that there are a lot of idiots that shouldn't have a driver's license? Anybody there with me? Yeah. Here's the big danger. I put this little quote in your notes. The greatest danger is this, is that on the road is the fact that we all think we're above average drivers. Everybody thinks they're a great driver, but the truth is, is not everyone is. And I imagine if you took a survey of people and you asked them, you know, to rate themselves a driver, all of them would say they're in the top 70% of drivers out there, right? It can't be me as a bad driver. But the truth is, is that some of us are. Some of us are. And if you don't know it yet, uh, you'll come to the conclusion at some point that sometimes it's the same in relationships. Sometimes we're just, we're just bad at it. And there are times that we have to come to the resolution that we just need some help from time to time. And that's hard to admit. In Valparaiso, Indiana, a few years ago, Teresa, um, I, I didn't catch her last name, was sitting in a night class, and this gentleman came in. There was a seat next to her, and he just simply asked her this simple question, is this seat taken? And something about that question set Teresa off, and she jumped up, and she started screaming in this man's face, and she just went bats nut. I mean, just crazy, just nutty, just nutty in this whole situation. She starts, and she says, I'm going to shoot you. And this guy just broke down crying in this class. And the teacher got involved. It was a night class, and he started to escort her out, trying to defuse the situation. She went to the hallway, and she punched through a glass case and, and bent and broke some of the shelves. She went to a, a door and like gave it a forearm shiver and bent the frame the door was on. Absolutely crazy. They called the police and the police had to taser and put her down and, and to, to try to get her under control. She went absolutely nuts. What's crazy is the class that they were at was an anger management class. How many of you think Teresa was in the right place? But she probably wasn't learning the skills quickly enough. Anybody there with me? Yeah, yeah. Not this Teresa. She's a gentle soul, but it was a Teresa. Look, it can really, it can really help us to ask for help from time to time. Proverbs 20.18 says, Plans succeed through good counsel, but don't go to war without wise advice. And that's great in relationships, right? Don't go to war. I just put three quick thoughts. Sometimes you need a mentor. A mentor's for me. You and I seeking the counsel of another person to help me navigate something. Um, I mentor youth pastors from time to time because I was a youth pastor for over 17 years. And so from time to time, youth pastors will come to me and say, hey, I'm actually meeting with someone this Thursday. I need to talk through a situation. And I just listen. I give them some wise counsel. That's what mentors are for. Sometimes you need a mediator. 
A mediator is for us. It's to help us help a particular issue that we're going through. Maybe at work we get in conflict with somebody and we have to ask a mediator in HR to help us to figure out, to navigate how to get through the situation without, without beating each other, right? To give an objective opinion about something. Husbands and wives, from time to time, we need a mediator. We're, we're a young, I, I tell young married couples, you know, come to somebody when the problems are small. Um, don't wait until the problems become huge. But when they're small, ask for help before they blow up. Sometimes, sometimes you need a counselor, right? A counselor comes in and they help you with multiple issues that are, that are threatening to the relationships that you're in. Um, we go to a counselor when we're stuck and we just, we just don't know what to do. And they help us to dig through those layers of years and sometimes scar tissue to, to think through what's influencing these decisions. How do I get through this? One of the best decisions I ever made in my life before, um, I don't know, seven years ago, um, was to go to a counselor for over a year on a weekly basis to just talk about some of the things that I was struggling, where I was stuck in life. Um, it was the best decision other than my decision with Jesus and with my wife, right? To get help from someone who can help me see um, what's really happening deep down inside of me. Sometimes you need a counselor. Don't, don't keep managing the rough roads by yourself. But get help. Know when you need help. And here's the last thing. Is that when you're repairing your rough road, make sure you lay a, lay a solid foundation. Like any highway, it's what's beneath the surface of a relational road that really matters. Anybody recognize this picture? Anybody tell me what this is? You know it didn't. It wasn't supposed to lean. You know that, right? And uh, they started building it in August of 1173. I mean, that's a long time ago. And um, when they started on the second floor in 1178, that's when it started to sink. Um, the soil underneath... I'm going to say the right side of the building. Um, started. Does a circle have a right side? I mean, I guess any way you look at it, it's a different side. Um, it was, was too soft, and it began to sink. So they stopped working on it for 100 years, and then they thought, ah, let's give it another go, and they just kept building seven more floors. And they thought, you know, if we can't make... Um, if we can't fix the base, let's just fix the top. And so they started to make one side longer than the other to try to get it to go straight. But guess what? If it starts sinking at two floors, what's going to happen when you have seven? Yeah. It's going to topple. And, and throughout the years, they've done a lot of repair work on trying to keep this thing, this national treasure, from falling over. And in the 1980s, they actually dug out um, all of this un- underneath and put all these cement blocks on one side just to try to keep it from falling over. It's not, it's not because it's not a beautiful thing. If you look at it, it's beautiful, right? But it's what is underneath that matters most. I've done a few weddings over the years, not a ton, you know, as a youth pastor, but I've done a few. And what's amazing to me is the length of time that we spend on a wedding ceremony and the little time that we actually spend talking about what does it mean to get married and be in a marriage. If you don't have that underneath grounded and solid, it's not going to stand. Amen? And we can give the best tips throughout this series about relationships and working through them. 
And I can give you lots of tools, and you can study, and you can go online, you can find lots of things that will be a benefit to you relationally. But you need to know this. If you don't have God and Jesus Christ as the center of your relationship, your foundation won't stand. It won't. It won't. Psalms 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builder is what? It's wasted. Only God can give you the presence and power in your life and the relationships that he can provide. Like, I don't know where you are in your marriage, your relationship with your family, your friends, your people at work, where you are in your journey. I don't, I don't know. There's lots of good stuff that you can apply, but if you don't get this one right, everything else is built on top of this the solid foundation of Jesus Christ.